There's a legend of a king who asked his trusted servant to bring him the most valuable object in, in the realm. The servant returned carrying a silver platter, and on that platter was a human tongue. Where he got it, I don't know. This is a strange legend, but... Uh, the king then asked his servant to bring him the most dangerous object in the realm. And the servant again returned with a human tongue. This morning we're going to be look, examining our tongue. The tongue is a very unique part of the human body. It's responsible for our entire sense of taste. Without it, we wouldn't know anything of the myriads of flavors that we have in our food. It is one of the most, if not the most, flexible muscle in our entire body. It operates completely separate from our skeletal structure. And that's needed because, you know, when you chew and swallow, you, 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 want, you need that, that flexibility to do that. Hey, when you're sick... Your tongue can actually change color. Now, I'm not talking about polka dots and stripes and, and all of that, but various shades of pink and sometimes white and all these things. It's one of the reasons doctors want to look at your tongue when you go into the office. Okay. Every one of us has a completely unique tongue print. Okay, So when you're setting up your new phone, you can, you can lick your phone and set up a... Only f all, they're all waterproof now anyway, so... So if your fingerprints are worn down, you can do that. And now all these facts about our tongue are very interesting. But probably the most impactful task the tongue performs is enabling us to communicate with one another. And this is because the tongue is the body's implement for forming phonetic letters. Without it, it, it can be extremely difficult to communicate with one another. But communicating and communication with the tongue go far beyond the mere basic transfer of information. You see, the tongue transmits who we really are. One commentator noted that the tongue is you. It is the tattletale that tells on the heart and discloses the real person. And not just that, misuse of the tongue is the easiest way to sin. Now, there are some sins that we simply won't, won't have the opportunity to commit. No nation is going to elect me their despot and I'm going to have the ability to oppress large groups of people. Not that I would if a country asked me to lead them, but I don't have the opportunity to. Okay? But we all have access to our tongue at all points. Deceit, flattery, cursings, perversities, boasting, complaining, sensual speech are available to every person at all times. It was once noted that it is no wonder God put the tongue behind a cage of teeth. You see, it was the boastfulness of Belshazzar and his praise of himself and foreign gods that led to the fall of the Babylonian Empire. It was the bold words of Luther, nailed to the castle door in Wittenberg, that is credited with kickstarting the Protestant Reformation. It was the calming words of George Washington at the conclusion of the Revolutionary War that calmed the Newberry conspiracy that sought to overthrow the new country's government. It was the catchy jingles of Arius that sought to dethrone the, the pure doctrine of the deity of Jesus. Nations have risen and fallen based on the use of the tongue. The book of Proverbs deals heavily with all matters of our lives. It can, an examination of the book leads one to see wisdom lived out. 
We can learn how to be pure in a perverse world. We can learn how to have success in raising children in the home. The book of Proverbs also deals with our speech. In particular, a controlled use of speech and how it can be the mark of a wise person. Why is our speech so important? As I stated earlier, the tongue is us. It is the litmus test for the person's heart. And this is because the tongue is more or less just the exhaustment for the heart. Okay? Matthew chapter 15, we see Jesus explaining to his disciples that it is not what they put into their mouth that defiles, but what comes out. Matthew 15, 18 and 19 say, But the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and those defile a man. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, sexual immoralities, thefts, false witnesses, and slanders. Jesus spells this out explicitly. It is not eating with unclean hands that defile the person, as the Jewish religious leaders were complaining to his disciples about. Jesus makes it clear. It's not what you eat. It's not eating that bread without washing your hands in some ceremonial fashion. It is the heart that defiles the person. And the heart is going to make itself evident in speech. If someone wants to know if they truly belong to Christ, all they have to do is examine what they say. Because an unrepentant heart is going to produce unrepentant speech. And a heart that is in submission to Christ will produce that in their speech. So if the question is ever asked, listen to what is said. Particularly when someone is under stress. We can do a good job you know, faking it. But when life starts to squeeze someone, that's when the real person comes out. And it will show itself in speech. So this morning we're going to be looking at the tongue. And as we move through here, I want to first start out by expressing some truths about our words. Okay? And the first is that words possess extreme power. Words possess extreme power. Hey, let's look at some of these. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruit. The tongue possesses extreme power to both give life, but also when wielded carelessly, when wielded cruelly, it can bring death. Solomon, who penned the book of Proverbs, the wisest man to ever live, who's seeking to pass on this wisdom through the book of Proverbs, expresses the idea that those who love it, okay, that is the use of the tongue, will have to consume the fruit born from it. Now this could be something good. It can bring forth community, spark unity. But when wielded incorrectly, it can bring about strife, disunity, death. Okay, I'm not referring to somebody's some government official's order or some judge declaring that another person is to be put to death. I'm talking about destroying the unity, destroying peace in society. And these are done through a number of different ways. And in particular, and we're going to talk about these a little bit more a little bit later, 
Okay, but slander, for example. The Midrash, which is ancient Jewish commentary on scriptures, says, says it this way. The evil tongue slays three. The slanderer, the slandered, and the listener. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 11 says, By the blessing of the upright, a city is raised up. But by the mouth of the wicked, it is torn down. Solomon is expressing here the great blessing that wise words can have for all of us. But unwise speech, cruel speech, speech not under control, wielded by the unregenerate, can and does inject evil into society. I don't think it would take us very long to think of even modern day events that have just been kicked off by just cruel, awful speech. And that can be hard for us as citizens of the United States. We have a freedom of speech in this country, right? That's a good thing. But like all good things, I don't think it would take very long to, again, come up with some examples of when that has been wielded poorly. When it has been wielded as a weapon. Slander, malicious criticisms, lies also seeds of chaos into what is normally a stable society. And in the end, it brings a swift end to order. James chapter 3, verses 3 through 5, explain it this way. When we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they will obey us, we direct their entire body as well, Look at the ships also, though they are so great and driven by strong winds, they are still directed by a very small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot will. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, yet it boasts of great things. James, the half-brother of Jesus here, uses two illustrations to emphasize the extreme power the tongue has in our lives. The first is that of the horse. Okay? A horse, an immensely powerful beast that for thousands of years was used as a main implement in militaries and agriculture around the world. And its impact can be seen on society today. And when you buy a car, you typically don't want to know how, many, how much gerbil power it has. <laughs> you want to know how many horses are under that engine. Okay, one author put it this way. You take 500 pounds, as much as a puff, puffing Olympic heavyweight lifter can hoist overhead, and you set it on the back of a horse, it will barely snort as it stands un, unburdened by the load. That same horse, without any burden, can sprint a quarter mile in 25 seconds. A horse has half a ton of raw power, yet you place a bridle and a bit in its mouth, and a hundred pound woman on its back who knows what she's doing and the animal can literally be made to dance. The second illustration James uses is that of, the, that of ships. Back in James's day, ships were not as massive as, as, in, as impressive as they are today. They weren't propelled by big, large engines. They had sails and a rudder. And that... Rudder, when compared to the boat, though, would, would be insignificant when compared to the boat. 
But in the hands of a skilled sailor, they could direct that boat wherever the sailor wanted. And even today, those modern-day large ships are still, still use a similar principle to the rudder to direct the ship. Likewise, we're told the tongue, being a very small part of our body, can direct us, can direct our path wherever we would use it. One commentator noting that if the tongue were so well under control that it refused to formulate the words of self-pity, the images of lustfulness, the thoughts of anger and resentment, then these things would be cut down before they had a chance to live. The human tongue is physically small, but what a tremendous effect it can boast of. There is an intrinsic power in the tongue. And we can see it okay, in the, at play in the lives of men like Winston Churchill and Adolf Hitler. Two contemporaries who both wielded their tongues and directed very different paths. One used his speech to stir up anger and hatred and death. The other used his speech to pull his nation together in the face of what seemed to be insurmountable odds. For the record, I'm referring to Churchill on that one. I don't want there to be any I don't want there to be any question about who I'm referring to. We can see this power at play in us daily. Careless speech can cost us a lot. Jobs, friends, family relationships. We can even get in trouble with the law. We have a freedom of speech in this country. But do not go into a movie theater and yell the word fire. And you will face legal ramifications. Amongst other things. The tongue possesses the ability to affect our life in many ways. And the course of our life could change drastically depending on how we choose to wield the tongue and its intrinsic power. I'm sure, again, it wouldn't take very long to think of an example in your own life of a situation that could have gone a completely different way had you used your, your speech differently. We're told that the tongue boasts of great things. And this underscores the sinful nat uh, natural inclination of the self-centered heart to try and puff up ourselves. Talk of boasting. Hey, this is pride. We lash out at other people and destroy them to try and make ourselves seem better. Hey, words have great power. That is what I'm trying to express to you. Hey, another example of this is God spoke creation to existence. Hey, the tongue we uh, can direct the path of our life, but it has been used to do even greater things than that. Hey, what do we see in Genesis chapter 1 over and over again? And God said, and it was. And God spoke, and it was. Psalm 33 verse 6 says, By the word of Yahweh the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their host. Psalm 33, 9. For he spoke and it was. For he commanded and it stood. And God reveals himself through words. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is, is God-breathed and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, 
for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be equipped, having been thoroughly equipped for every good work. Okay? We go to the scripture because that is where God has revealed himself to us. Through the words of his book. God has commanded that his word be preached and that to be the primary method of the spreading of the good news. And we saw that when Jesus left the disciples. He said, go out and make disciples of all the earth. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul charges Timothy. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and teaching. For at the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires and will turn away their ear from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Paul's warning Timothy of the world that we live in today, a world where Nobody has time for the truth. When you can go down the road and have somebody make you feel good about yourself for an hour, instead of going to some place that is going to teach the word and expose your sin, our society is pivoted drastically the other way. Paul warns Timothy, this is coming. Be ready. Preach the word. And we are told that is the mechanism for Proclaiming the gospel. That is the primary implement God has called on us to spread his word by our words. Now, actions are important as well. And we'll get into that in just a second. But speaking the truth in love is the method God has ordained for the spreading of the good news. Okay, but as I just said, our, there are limits on our words. Our words have power, but there's also limits to them. There is an action component that is required in a lot of cases. Hey, we have an abundance of people that are really good at talking, right? But when the rubber meets the road, do they follow through? Hey, I know a lot of people who will say that they will do one thing or the other. Most of them are about three foot something. Ah, <laughs> oh, yes, I'll go and clean my room. Hey, but they don't follow through. People who've truly been who have truly brought their tongue to heal know that when they say something, they need to follow through on it. This is because, as one comment here put, there is no substitute for action. We cannot, for example, uh, talk someone into a change. Sometimes they need to see it lived out. Okay? I said that preaching the word is the primary implement. Uh, implement that God is ordained for the spreading of the good news but that doesn't save someone you cannot talk someone into salvation okay? you give the good news and then it is the action of the spirit that actually produces the salvation Proverbs 14:23 says in all painful labor there is profit but mere words from the lips only heed want <laughs> Proverbs 29, 19, a slave will not be corrected by words alone, 
For though he understands, there will be no answer. You know someone, you can tell someone to do something, but you got to come back, come back with an action to fully impart that. Again, they're about three foot tall. <laughs> go clean your room. Okay. And then go back to playing Legos. And now we have a different conversation. <laughs> Do not think that words alone are enough. Okay? There is an action component that is required, and it's tied with our words. And it should be for those who have controlled their speech. They will follow what they say. And so there's a power to our words. There's a limit to our words. And our words reveal who we are. I stated earlier that our words, our speech, our tongue are the litmus test for our hearts. We want to know the truth about someone's heart condition. All we have to do is listen to them. Listen to what they say. We talk about the things that we like, the things that we have stored right here. Proverbs 15, 2, the tongue of the wise make knowledge looks good, but the mouth of fool pours forth folly. Proverbs 10, 31, the mouth of the righteous bears wisdom, but the tongue of perversions will be cut out. We see the character of the speaker here on full display. Both the fool and the wise man make their character known by what they say. The wise man makes his way seem better. It's on full display, his speech and his actions together. His wisdom and his controlled speech acts as an exclamation point on what he has said. The wise man speaks in love with compassion to the one they're speaking with. And it makes their speech more compelling. The fool, however, lacks all compassion, lacks all care. Okay, that Again, the fool in Proverbs is not someone who's mentally deficient, but someone who's rather morally deficient. Okay, so don't think that smart people can't be fools, because again, even speaking the truth without love is foolish. Who's ever heard of the Westboro Baptists? A group of uh, so-called Christians who would go and protest at funerals because the person who has died may have been an unbeliever or may have been or may have committed sin. They gained news notoriety about 10, 15 years ago, protesting at the funerals of soldiers. They were particularly known for protesting the funerals of, of homosexuals. Were they wrong to call sin sin? Absolutely not. We stand on the word of God and God calls homosexuality, for example, I'm going to use their example, as a sin and one that must be repented of. But they spoke in hatred. They spoke as though they were the judges of, a, of, of someone. Instead of calling for repentance, they called for condemnation. And as a result, they were a joke. No one paid attention to what they had to say. Even when so one of them may have brought up the idea of salvation through Jesus. Nobody paid attention to what they had to say because they were foolish in how they spoke. This kind of speech, this perverse speech, Solomon says, is cut, will be cut out of the mouth. 
Matthew 12, 34, for the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. Jesus did not pull any punches when dealing with the many hypocrisies of the Jewish religious leaders. He reminded them that their wicked hearts are on full display in their speech. Proverbs 4, 23, guard your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Jesus' exhortation and Solomon's here in Proverbs 4 are all about, not about controlling necessarily the speech, but the heart. The tongue is not the problem. The heart is the problem. We need to protect our hearts from this world. And we should never adulterate the heart's nutrition. That should be from the word. We should be pouring into our heart, pouring into our soul, the word. Not just coming on Sunday and hearing Pastor Steve for an hour and then thinking, okay, I'm all full. Tank's full, good for a week. No. If that's the mentality, why doesn't the person eat once a week? We should be in taking God's word into our heart daily. And not substituting it with something else. News, books, TV, media. The old expression holds true. Garbage in, garbage out. If we are filling our heart and our mind with trash from this world, that is what's going to come out of our mouths. Those are just some truths about our words. I want to talk for a moment about the destructive power of our speech. The tongue has great power to destroy. Again, James chapter 3. Behold, how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, the very world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set amongst its members of that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our existence and is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. The tongue has a scope of inflammatory power in human relationships. And James says that those who misuse the tongue are guilty of nothing short of spiritual arson. We're told that the tongue is destructive as fire. And there's a real danger when working with fire. You're a real danger. You have to be take precautions. On the 4th of July, just this past one, I had many young people. I've got like 17 kids, and they all wanted to light the fireworks. I said, no, get away. I'm the only one who can pretend to know what I'm doing. <laughs> okay? There's a real danger when working with fire. And we're coming upon Thanksgiving. And every Thanksgiving, houses are burned down by people who misuse fire when cooking their turkeys. In in the same way there's a danger in working with fire, there's a real danger in working with the tongue. We're told that it is the world of iniquity, that evil, rebellion, lawlessness of every form of sin comes from the tongue. One commentator stating that the tongue is a microcosm for evil amongst its members. It is 
a vile, wretched, and wicked scheme of fleshly humanists that no other bodily part has such far-reaching potential for disaster and destruction as the tongue. I'm sure you guys have heard the old expression, sticks and stones break your bones, but words will never hurt you. Well, that's a lie. And a lot of times, those wounds, the wounds that words inflict, hurt worse and hurt longer. And you wish, I wish he just broken my arm instead of cutting like that. James teaches that the tongue defiles the whole body and sets and can set the whole course of one's life on fire. We, for the most part, are known for what we say. Our reputation of our speech follows us around. So much so that you become associated with it and people will expect it from you and will avoid us. They can avoid people because they don't want to get involved in another conversation where a person wields their speech uncontrolled. A lack of self-control with the tongue has cost many people jobs and relationships, ministering opportunities. I remember a time where I was working at Publix. I have spent 20 years now working for Publix very shortly after my conversion. And I, I like to preface it that this was actually now a long time ago so that you don't think this happened Thursday. <laughs> I was working in our cash office doing the accounting for the store. And I was having just the worst time with our check encoder. And it got to a boiling point. After 15 minutes of trying to feed one check through this stupid machine, and I maintain it was a stupid machine, I had had enough. And in... It's the word conjunction, not conjunction, but as followed my normal pattern of speech prior to my conversion, I let loose a string of obscenities. I'm cutting this out of the recording, by the way. <laughs> it was bad. Now, again, this was post-conversion. And shortly after I finished, there was a knock at my cash room door. And standing in front of me was our, my team leader. And he looked at me and he said, Mike, is everything all right back here? I said, yeah, why? He goes, because it sounds like I'm working back here and not you. And that hurt. This is someone who I had been actively witnessing to. And I didn't get the opportunity to ever again because I had shown through my speech that my faith wasn't this, that it was no different than the world. The tongue gets its destructive power from that which symbolizes evil. James says it is hell, Gehenna, the Jewish valley which was used as a trash pit constantly burning. Okay? Gehenna was originally uh, was, was used at one point for child sacrifices. And when Israel came to some back to some sort of semblance of orthodoxy, they turned it into a trash heap so that it could no longer be used for that wicked purpose 
And so by the time of the, of, of, of the New Testament time, it was a burning trash pit. The, the fire never went out. James says that is an illustration of where the power of the tongue is coming from. The psalmist makes it clear that this is how people, uh, uh, of how people wield speech uncontrollably. He says this, in speaking of someone who is treacherous, their speech is smoother than butter, their heart was at war, their words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. Proverbs 16, 27, the vile man digs up evil. His words on his lips are like a scorching fire. Our words can be destructive. Well, how so? What are some examples of this? Gossip and slander. Proverbs 16, 28, a perverse man spreads strife and a whisperer separates close companions. Proverbs 18, 8, the words of a whisperer are like dainty morsels and they go down to the innermost parts of the stomach. Gossip and slander often are used to run down and disparage another person for the purpose of making other people look bad to other people. This doesn't always need to be a lie. We're coming up on election season. You're going to hear a lot of really negative things. Some of them are going to be true things, but spoken about with an attitude of a lie to make you feel that even though something may be true, it's actually a bad thing. Okay? So-and-so doesn't want you to be able to kill babies. Isn't that terrible? Gossip and slander can cause a person to look differently at somebody else. And like Solomon says, dainty they go down to the innermost parts of the, of the being, such that when a rumor gets out there and takes hold, it can be almost impossible to fully eradicate it. Because even though a rumor can be proved completely false, the protesting can have some people think, well, me thinks he doth protest too much. It must be true. We can see this at play in our own lives, in conversations that begin with, did you know? Or, so they tell me. Or, keep this to yourself, but. Or the famous Christian one, I'm only telling this to you so that you'll be praying. Hey, try and make it seem more spiritual, but in reality, it is pure evil, set on fire, as James says, by hell. Gossip and slander can act as a vicious cancer. And Solomon warns to avoid it. Proverbs 20:19. He who goes about as a slander reveals secrets. Therefore, do not associate with one of loose lips. You are actively engaging in gossip with someone else. Guess what? They're probably gossiping about you to somebody else. Do not engage in it. Proverbs 26, 20. With no wood, the fire goes out. And where there is no whisper, strife quiets down. If you or I choose to cut it down, when it comes to us, it can no longer spread. Someone comes to you and says, hey, let me tell you something. No, I don't need to hear that. That's gossip. You need to stop it. I'm not going to spread it. Hey, be that controlled burn that gets the, all the brush out of the way so the fire cannot spread. I actually had someone tell me, well, other people are going to do it. So what? Don't let it be you. 
Innuendo. Innuendo is a close cousin of gossip. Okay? And it hides in plain sight. Gossip is all about what is said. Innuendo is about what is not said. Okay? It is about the implied. Consider the example. A ship's first mate who after a drunken binge was written up by the captain in the, in the ship's log. First mate drunk today. So in retaliation, the first mate writes in his log, Captain sober today. <laughs> What's the implication here? Yeah. Innuendo was all about the implied. It's a way of cutting down someone without actually having to say it. It's sometimes treated like a gossip loophole. Well, I didn't say it. You did. You just didn't use the words. Flattery. Gossip involves what is said behind a person's back that you would never say to their face. Flattery is something you'd say to someone's face that you'd never say behind their back. The Bible warns repeatedly to avoid a person who is a flatterer due to their unwholesome motives. Proverbs 29.5, a man who flatters his neighbor is spreading a net for his steps. Proverbs 26.28, a lying tongue hates those it crushes and a flattering mouth works ruin. Psalm 12, 3 and 4, may the Lord cut off all flattering lips. The tongue that speaks of great things, who has said with our tongue we will prevail with our lips we are our own. Who is Lord over us? The type of person who is a flatterer will come to you with sweet words, but they're trying to get something out of you. And you can be ruined by listening to flattery. The smooth-talking salesman who comes to you to try and get a commission. You ever buy a car? Oh, come over here. We've got cake. You want some cake? Okay. I got cake one time at a car, at a car dealership. It's fantastic. <laughs> did not play into why I bought the car but like I eyeballed that cake all day and they finally gave it to me for buying for buying the car <laughs> I wasn't going to be bought off by cake <laughs> Proverbs chapter 2 expresses the danger of the adulteress and one of the weapons she wields is flattery. Proverbs 2.16, to deliver you from strange women, from the foreign woman who flatters with her words. Oh, come on, big, you big hunk. Come, come over here and uh, I'm going to kill you. It's not what she says. Criticism. Fault finding. It's a pastime for humanity, is it not? Some people think it's baseball. It's not baseball. It's criticism. And in particular, this is played very well in the church. Church is filled with those who want their way and to deviate from their preferred preference is anathema. Now, I'm not talking about requiring the church to hold the biblical fidelity. That goes without saying. That should be something that is heavily scrutinized by people in the church. I'm talking about drums on a stage. I'm talking about pastors having to wear suits or they can't preach. I'm talking about the little wireless headphones. I actually heard someone say you can't use that as a, as a preacher because that's what pop stars use. I had a professor in college who was a pastor who had somebody come to him and say, you know, you can't wear skinnier ties. Rock and roll people wear skinny ties. You need big, thick ones. 
This was the 80s. That was... Okay? Requiring the use of a certain Bible translation... use this example because it was a warning that was given to me about seven or eight months ago. Paint colors. Our sanctuary looks fantastic, by the way. <laughs> that isn't a probe at anyone or anything. It was something that's an example from another church. People fought over curtain colors and everything and the church exploded. These are examples of things that we uh, can be hypercritical over, these non-biblical issues. And some people hold their preference on them as the gold standard, as though they've received some kind of special revelation on the kind of microphone a, a pastor can use. We do this with people. We point out flaws, mostly because we have can have some kind of need to want to be right and seem more pious seem more religious, seem better. This leads to diminishment. James 4.11, Do not speak against one another, brethren. He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. This is literally, do not speak down to another person. James forbids the running down of others for any reason, whether the comments are true or not. The criticism is genuine. There are biblical ways to go about addressing the problem that do not involve taking an image bearer of God and ramming him into the dirt. No Christian should be part of slandering another person, yet some do. No believer should ever take part in seeking to elevate ourselves at the expense of somebody else. Some do. An example of, of, of where this is done, we see, for example, in Luke 18. Luke 18, 9 through 14, and he's told the parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, and even this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. The tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift his eyes to heaven and was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But he who humbles himself will be exalted. Sometimes we get an outsized view of ourselves. And we need to remember, we want to elevate ourselves, fine, but God is going to humble us. Lies. Lying is an abomination to God. He considers it worthy of hell. Proverbs 6, we read the seven things that God hates. Number two, it's the lying lips. Proverbs 12, 22, lying lips are an abomination to Yahweh, but the doers of faithfulness are his delight. 
Jesus tells in John chapter 8 that lying is of Satan. He says, you are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own nature, for he is a liar and a father of lies. When we act in conjunction with our sinful flesh and we choose to lie, we are acting in accordance with Satan and everything that he is. Lying is completely worthy of final judgment. Revelation 21, 8. We can see that it is hell-worthy. John writes, But for the cowardly and the unbelieving and the abominable and the murderers and the sexual immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars will take, we put in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Lying lips include more than just blatant lies. There can be nuances to lying. Half-truths. Well, half-truths are whole lies. No, it's fine. It's just a little white lie. No, it's an affront to a holy God who himself is the definition of truth. There's no such thing as a white lie. Lies of omission. You're leaving information out to gain some kind of better result. I'll ask a student, did you, did you do all your homework? I did homework. <laughs> oh, really? Notice you have to modify her out of there. Proverbs 26, 28. I read it before. I want to read it again. Lying tongue hates those it crushes. And a flattering mouth works ruin. God hates lying because it is everything that he is not. He is the standard by which all truth is measured. And when we wield lies, we are aligning ourselves with everything that God is not, no matter whether or not we view it as a big deal or not. Angry speech. Proverbs 18.6 The fool's lips come with strife, and his mouth comes for beatings. Now, there are some homes that are rife with constant bickering. And it happens. You ever met two kids with one toy? Sometimes anger fills a home. The house can be filled with unnecessary, unhelpful, and vicious speech. Proverbs has strong warnings against such. Proverbs 21.19 It is better to live in a desert land than with a contentious and vexing woman. Proverbs 19.13, a foolish son is the destruction to his father and the contentions of a wife are, con are a constant dripping. Proverbs 25.24, it is better to live in the corner of a roof than in a house shared with a contentious woman. Now, all three of those have to do with women. I'm not singling you out. Okay. First and foremost, men, we frustrate our wives, don't we? We need to stop. Okay. I want to encourage both spouses, depending on who is the source of the frustration, it is never okay to allow that frustration to turn into an occasion to be a contentious spouse, husband or wife. 
Proverbs 26, 21, like charcoal to hot embers and wood to the fire, so is a contentious man. To kindle strife. Sorry, I lost my spot in my notes. Sometimes it is better to drop an issue. Sometimes it's better to table an issue. Because if you can sense that an argument is starting, no good is going to come from that. I cannot express how many times okay, I've had to say, okay, you know what? We're, we need to stop talking about this because this is going to turn ugly. And I can tell you, sometimes I don't remember that in time. Most of the time, it's my own fault that we're in the situation anyways. Proverbs 26.4, do not answer a fool according to his folly, lest you yourselves be like him. Fighting with people, particularly a fool, is a lot easier than it used to be. The advent of the internet and social media and the rise of the keyboard warrior can sit behind their computer screen and unfiltered speech just flows from their fingertips. It is a general rule of thumb that I like to tell students and everyone that I meet, don't fight with people on the internet. You will not accomplish what you want to accomplish. And the only thing you're doing is providing entertainment for the people watching it happen. Proud speech. We like to toot our own horn, do we not? Proverbs 27.1 Let a stranger praise you and not your own mouth, a foreigner and not your own lips. It's excessive speech. Now, some in this room may think that I've, I'm suffering from ex excessive speech right now. Okay? Sometimes there's too much talking. Proverbs 13.3, the one who guards his mouth keeps his soul. The one who opens his lip wide comes to ruin. Sometimes we can get caught in the cycle of just not knowing when to stop talking. We can make the situation worse. Proverbs 17.28 tells us that even an ignorant fool, when he keeps silent, is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he's considered understanding. These are just some examples of damaging speech. Well, finally, and we'll end on this, what is speech we should develop? Speech that is self-controlled. The fool blurts out whatever pops into his head. It's like a three-year-old who's got no filter. Proverbs 18.2, a fool does not delight in discernment, but only revealing his own heart. Proverbs 21.23 tells us that he who keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps his soul from trouble. The wise person waits before opening his mouth. He doesn't jump to conclusions. He listens. He doesn't need to have the last word. And we'll, I have to have the last word. Why? They have the power. They, they, get, they got to say the thing the last in, in, the, in the argument. They, their voice was the last one that was heard. And what did that accomplish? I, I, I spoke last. Oh, did it end well? No, but I said the last thing. Proverbs 10:19. When there are many words, transgression is unavoidable, but he who holds back his lips has insight. A wise person doesn't take immediate offense. We are a very sensitive society now. 
I mean, we like to talk about, oh, we got thick skin. I mean, society as a whole has got some real tissue paper skin. Everything is taken immediately as an offense. And not just taking the offense, but they got to respond back and attack immediately. That's foolish behavior. Proverbs 29.11, a fool lets out all his spirit, but a wise man holds it back. The wise person who controls his speech with self-control might even, get this, let an offense go. Sometimes the wisest thing is just ignore it. Well, he said this about me. Was it true? Well, no. Let it go. You're going to fight him? Speak with integrity. The wise man has truthfulness and integrity ingrained in him. He's known for his honesty, for his faithfulness, for his being a trustworthy witness. He can be trusted to keep his word even when there's a price to pay. Psalm 15:4 In whose eyes a reprobate is despised but who honors those who fear Yahweh for he swears by his own hurt and that does not change. Sometimes following through on something we've said and when cards a negative impact for us. But someone whose speech is under control, who speaks with integrity, who has that in them knows that you know what it doesn't matter I said it I'm going to follow through even if I have to take the hit. Develop speech that builds others up. And everything we should seek to bring glory and honor to God in all that we say. We should build others up, not tear them down. We must commit to speaking the truth in love, to abstaining from gossip, abstaining from flattery, abstaining from running others down, abstaining from coarse jesting. We should seek to... To show others by our speech the difference Christ can make in the life of someone. Our speech will dictate a lot of the opportunities we will have with people. We should be seeking to speak wisely at all times. And if we make claims to belong to Jesus, then we should be speaking like it. Be truthful. Build others up. Gently correct our children. Now, I didn't say spare the rod. I said gently correct your child because you shouldn't take a three-year-old and verbally berate them for acting like a child. Don't cut your spouse down in front of them or to your friends. Learn when you should say something and when it can wait or just be ignored. We need to learn to read the room. To know when to open our mouth and when not to. I stated earlier that God reveals himself through his word. There is no greater manifestation of that than Jesus himself. He is God's word made manifest. Of all of the different ways I've talked about developing wise speech, it cannot be done in our own power. There is no 10-step program to speaking wisely. There's one, submit your life to Christ. Because when you change the root, the fruit changes. The problem is our heart. It's never been the tongue. If we address the heart, the tongue's problem is going to fix itself. So of everything that I have said today, it all comes down to this. Do you belong to Jesus? 
Do you belong to the one who can fix the actual problem? Are you willing to submit your life to Christ and allow him to fix the problem of our speech? If you have, commit yourself to staying here and not out there. Allow his word to fill your heart and you will see real change in your speech. I will end with this. The boneless tongue so small and weak can crush and kill, declares the Greek. The tongue destroys a greater horde, the Turk asserts, than does the sword. The Persian proverb wisely saith, a lengthy tongue and early death. Or sometimes take this form instead, don't let your tongue cut off your head. The tongue can speak a word whose speed says the Chinese outstrips the steed. While Arab sage doth this impart, the tongue's great storehouse is the heart. From Hebrew with the maxim sprung, though your feet should slip, never let your tongue. The sacred writer crowns the whole. He who keeps his tongue to keep his soul. Let's close in prayer. Gracious Lord and Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, that you would take all parts of us captive, Lord. Our hearts, our minds, our tongue. I pray that we would remember that it is you who brings about real change in our life. And I pray that we would rely on you and seek you daily. I pray that we would use our words as, as tools of spreading your good news of salvation and not as a weapon to attack others. I pray that our hearts would be right before you. I pray this as we move into the 1040 service now and prepare for communion, that we would thoughtfully and carefully examine ourselves, our hearts, our motives, our actions. And if there be anything found in us that's unworthy, I pray we would repent of it today. I pray again for the requests that were mentioned this morning, that you would again work in those situations to bring about our good and your glory. And I pray that in everything that we do and everything that we say, Lord, we bring honor and glory to you. In your son's name I pray, amen.